Well, good morning again, church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to wish everyone another happy Mother's Day. And as we transition from our worship together in song, let's take some time to worship him in the word together uh, by prayer, beginning in prayer. Uh, Father, uh, we thank you for the fellowship of your people that we can gather, that we can uh, be refocused on you in the presence of uh, those who share a common profession of faith in you, Lord. And Father, thank you for our time of worship and song at the table of communion. But now, Lord, as we transition our worship in the word, we pray that you prepare our hearts and minds, that you'd get us out of the way, that we would be encouraged this morning by the truths that are in it, Lord. So Father, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and who we are not in Christ, we ask that you'd make us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Hudson Taylor, uh, at the age of 17 years old, he, he had walked into his father's library, and uh, as he was looking for a book, he ended up finding a gospel track. And as he read that gospel track, God got a hold of his 17-year-old wayward heart in that moment. Hudson Taylor fell to his knees, accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior and his Lord, committed to follow him all the days of his life. His mother wasn't home at the time. She was traveling, and when she had returned, uh, Hudson Taylor, he shared with her the good news, and I'm sure it was a surprise to him when she said, I already know. She said, 10 days earlier, when you had read that gospel track, she informed him, she said, I had been praying for your, your heart all afternoon in regards to your salvation. And she said, I prayed all afternoon and until God had given me the assurance that my wayward son has jo had joined the flock of God. You know, Hudson Taylor, he ended up at the age of 21 going to be a missionary for 51 years in China. He started a missionary organization and sent hundreds of missionaries, gospel missionaries, to preach the good news of Jesus Christ all throughout China as thousands more were affected by the cause of Christ and accepted Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord, all because of not just the call of God on his life, but the prayers of his mother. This morning, I want to take some time to talk about the power of a praying mother. In light of the text that we're going to read together, I'd like to suggest that one of the greatest gifts that a mother can give her children is the gift of prayer. I'd like to invite you to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15. We'll be in uh, verses 21 to 28 together as we take time to consider how mothers are invited to pray as we consider a pattern for prayer in the light of our text together. You know, as you turn there in your Bibles, I'd like to suggest this morning that some of the hardest times to pray are times when life doesn't seem to make sense. The hardest times to pray are often those times when God either seems silent or God does not respond to our prayers as we might expect him to or desire him to. And yet these are the circumstances that we're going to read about a mother who is in these circumstances. Uh, a mother who comes to Jesus, a Gentile woman who is going to make a plea to Jesus and Jesus is going to answer her request in an unexpected way. And yet what we're going to see as he answers her request is the plan of the master to meet the need of a woman whose daughter is in need of healing. So as we walk through our text together, we're going to consider how mothers are invited to pray. Would you stand in honor of the reading of the word, Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from the region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. His disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. 
Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. The word of the Lord, y'all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. Whether as a mother, your children are on your knees or on your heart this morning, whether you're a new mother or a seasoned mother, a spiritual mother or a burdened and a grieving mother, I want to take some time to talk about how mothers are invited to pray. And while this message, of course, is more focused on mothers, it is relevant to all of us as we dig through our text together. The first thing we're going to talk about in the first couple of verses, 21 to 22, is that mothers are invited to pray desperately. Mothers are invited to pray desperately, recognizing their desperate need for Jesus. If I could break down our text for you into two sections, it would be this. In verses 21 to 22, we get to read the plea of a mother. In verses 23 to 28, we get to hear about the plan of the master. And as we walk through our text, we're going to consider how Jesus answers her request in the most unusual way, but as uh, the conversation unfolds, in the end, he is going to commend her faith as that which is great. As we enter into the text and consider this plea of the mother who, who, who makes this plea desperately, we begin by considering the setting We're told in verse 21, then Jesus went out from there and departed from the region of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, Jesus in uh, this chapter of chapter 15 and prior to that has been ministering throughout the uh, nation of Israel in and around Jerusalem. And at the beginning of the chapter in the first 20 verses, Jesus has been focused on having a conversation with Uh, the Jewish establishment, the Jewish leaders, Pharisees from Jerusalem who come and are critical of how he and his disciples are going about their business. You see these Pharisees in regards to their tradition is, is not being observed by Jesus and his disciples and they ask Jesus, why do your disciples eat the food without properly cleansing themselves beforehand? And Jesus' response in challenging the tradition of These Jewish leaders, because they have elevated their tradition to that of the authority of Scripture, is by telling them what defiles a man is not what is external, what defiles a man what is internal. A man is defiled not by what is outside, a man is defiled from the inside out, it begins in the heart. And as Jesus is ministering in and around that area, the the Jewish leaders become offended that Jesus would challenge them in this area, and yet Jesus responds to his disciples who informs him that these Jewish leaders are offended by him by saying, leave them alone. They are like those who are the blind leading the blind, and when the blind lead the blind, they fall into a ditch. Now, if these Jewish leaders were offended by the customs of Jesus and not abiding by the traditions that the elders had set, how much more would they be offended now that Jesus heads over to a Gentile region, heads over to be around Gentile people? And for a Jewish individual, you did not spend much time around Gentile regions because you did not want to become ceremonially unclean. The Jews often referred to the Gentiles as dogs. Dirty dogs full of sickness and disease. Not the kind of dogs who are your pets, but those dogs who wander the streets. Those dogs carrying all kinds of diseases. The kind of dog that comes up to you on the street, missing some fur, you know, has got some problems, and it comes up to you, and just by it licking you, it's going to cause you to be infected by the same disease it has. You want nothing to do with these dogs. And this is how the Jews saw the Gentiles, especially the Pharisees. And Jesus begins to move in his ministry outside of Jerusalem to uh, the region of Tyre and Sidon. In the parallel account in Mark chapter 7, we learn that the purpose is Jesus wants to get away. He wants to spend time in solitude, but how many of you know whenever Jesus goes about his ministry, even in times when he wants to be alone, ministry seems to follow him. And so Jesus finds himself in the region of Sidon and Tyre, and then we're introduced to this woman. It says, behold. Uh, Matthew invites us to take a look at 
who comes into the picture. It's a woman of Canaan. This is a mother that we're going to read about, but the first way she's described is as a, a Gentile woman. Um, uh, the reason she's described as a woman of Canaan is because she is a descendant of the, uh, of the enemies of ancient Israel. And so uh, Paul, you know, he, also he often describes himself in a certain text as a Hebrew of the Hebrews. This woman could be described as a Gentile of the Gentiles. She's a Gentile woman and she comes to Jesus. Now, this is already uh, a problem because uh, number one, she's a Gentile. And for a Gentile to come up to a Jewish rabbi, the Jewish rabbi could easily choose to ignore her. And so that's already one strike against her. But the second strike is she's a woman. And in that day and age, rabbis didn't necessarily interact with women, let alone Gentile women at that. And so we're first introduced to this woman and it says, look, behold, a woman of Canaan. And secondly, it tells us that she's from the region. In other words, she's from a pagan location. She has pagan family members and friends and neighbors and therefore, she worships pagan gods and is part of a pagan religion. I'd like to suggest this morning that this woman who has a daughter who is suffering has exhausted all of her other options. She has gone to the pagan gods and found no resolution and no relief for her daughter. She has found no relief or resolution from the pagan religion and she's driven to the feet of Jesus might I suggest this morning that if ever there was an advantage to adversity, it would be the reminder that our problems drive us to the feet of Jesus in desperation when you exhaust all of your other options and you know that Jesus is the only one that you can turn to in that moment. This woman is from this region. Thirdly, she's described as a woman in a state of emotional distress. It says, look, a woman of Canaan from the region here, and, and she cries out to the Lord Jesus. I want you to picture it because Matthew invites us to do that. This woman's face is shaking because she shares in the suffering of her daughter who is severely demon-possessed. And sharing in the suffering of her daughter, she cries out for mercy from the Lord Jesus. And her face is shaking. I'm sure her tears are flowing. And she cries out to the Lord Jesus for mercy. It's a state of emotional distress. And in this emotional distress, she cries out three things that I want you to pay very close attention to because when she approaches Jesus, she may not fully understand exactly who, she, who Jesus is. Maybe she's heard about Jesus, but she certainly, the way that she prays to him tells us a lot about her faith in him. The first thing she says is, have mercy on me. I want you to know that this woman doesn't come to Jesus as an entitled woman, saying, Lord Jesus, I command you to heal my daughter. I command you to intervene on my behalf. All this Gentile woman asks for is mercy. Her plea is one of humility. She knows that she's already got two strikes against her. She's a Gentile and she's a woman and she comes to a Jewish rabbi and all she cries out is, have mercy on me. This morning I'd like to suggest that when we come to Jesus, we shouldn't come entitled. We should come in a state of humility, recognizing that apart from Christ, we are deserving of nothing but he gives us his unmerited favor and his unmerited grace. She cries out to him in this moment for divine mercy. Why would she cry out for mercy in this moment? Because she believes that Jesus will show her pity. Because she believes that God is going to have compassion on her cause. Some of us choose not to pray to Jesus in times of desperation, perhaps because we do not truly believe he's as merciful as it says in Scripture. You know, Jonah, back in chapter 4 of Jonah, he got mad at God for being a gracious and merciful God. You know the story of Jonah, right? He's, he's the prophet who's sent to uh, another nation. He's sent to Nineveh. 
And instead of going to Nineveh, he goes to Tarshish. And the reason is because he knows who God is. What, what, what message was Jonah sent to, to give to the Ninevites? He was sent to tell them, judgment's coming. God is going to destroy you. Now, you would think Jonah would be happy to share that message because he hated these people. You want to talk about a racist? It was Jonah. And so Jonah, he ends up trying to flee in the opposite direction. A giant fish swallows him. And by God's providence, God preserves him and spits him out on shore. And he finally preaches this message of judgment. And you know what the people in Nineveh do? They repent. And you know what God does? He relents. And Jonah so hates these people that he is angry at God. And in Jonah chapter 4, he says this in verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly he became angry so he prayed to the Lord and said ah Lord was not this what I said when I was still in my country that's why I didn't go there therefore I fled previously to Tarshish for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God slow to anger abundant in loving kindness one who relents from doing harm I want to ask you this morning the question do you know the Lord Jesus who is God who is a gracious and merciful Now, what Jonah didn't understand for him was he he was a recipient of God's grace and mercy, but he didn't want the same grace and mercy extended to these Ninevites. Yet this woman cries out to Jesus for mercy because she knows that he is a compassionate God. And so first, her prayer reveals a lot about what her faith is and where it lies in the person and work of Jesus. She cries out for mercy. Secondly, she cries out in reverence. She calls him Lord. She calls him Lord. Now, you could stop there and say, okay, she called him Lord. What more does that mean? Well, the next statement, she says, son of David. She recognizes that Jesus is more than a man or a prophet. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the promised, anointed prophet, priest, and king of the Old Testament. He is the king of the Jews. And she says, Lord, son of David. This morning, I'd like to suggest in our prayers, whenever we pray to, to, to the Father, whenever we pray in Jesus' name, if ever we're going to refer to him as Lord, that we would recognize that we are his servants and we are his slaves. Jesus says elsewhere, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? If you're going to call God Lord, if you're going to call Jesus Lord, make sure you're walking in obedience to his will and to his word. She comes to Jesus, cries out for mercy, and then she calls him Lord, son of David. When she says son of David, she is saying Jesus is the Messiah. You know, um, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, it's the Davidic covenant that says from the th- line of David, it, the throne is going to be eternal. Guess who's going to reign on that throne? It's the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of this. He is the Davidic king who's going to reign and rule forever. You know, as Jesus goes about his ministry, as you read throughout the Gospels, um, those who see his, see his miracles and hear his messages, they sometimes struggle with who Jesus is. You know, even his disciples, later, Peter at least is going to say, I know who you are, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God. But all throughout the Gospels, those during the, the life and ministry of Jesus while he was on earth, they struggled with who Jesus was. They were trying to figure out, is he a man, is he a prophet, is he the Christ, is he the Son of God? This woman got it. She says, Lord, son of David. Now, in the first 20 verses, Jesus was talking to the spiritual leaders of the day, the Jewish establishment, the Jewish leaders. If anyone was supposed to get it, it was them. And yet now you have a woman who is described as a descendant of the ancient enemies of Israel, and yet she comes in faith before the Lord Jesus, crying out for mercy and worshiping, as we're going to see in a moment, the Jewish Messiah. How ironic is that? So she cries out to him, and then thirdly, uh, as she cries out to him, Lord, have mercy on me, son of David, she states the source of her suffering. She loves her daughter. And we're reminded that in this moment uh, that she expresses her need to Jesus, she says, my daughter is severely demon 
possessed. This morning, we can just pause here for a moment and consider the love of this mother for her daughter. How many of you know this morning, when your children suffer as a parent, your heart suffers as well, and especially a mother's heart that suffers for the sake of her children. And this mother is so desperate. She's exhausted all her other options. And the only reason she comes to Jesus and cries out to, for mercy is because he, she believes that he has the power to heal her of this severe demon possession. As you read the Gospels, you'll learn something very powerful about Jesus is that Jesus isn't just a man or a prophet. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And when you take a look at his works and you hear his words, when you see his miracles and you hear his messages, you will realize very quickly that he has sovereign authority and power over the physical, visible world. Why? Because you know some of his miracles. He turns water into wine. He makes the blind see again. He, he takes the sick and he heals them. He's even able to raise the dead. And then there's, there's previously, we get to see Jesus who's, who's literally walking on the water. Jesus has all power over the physical, visible world. But she also believes Jesus has all power over the spiritual, invisible world as well. Now, not a lot is said exactly about the ailment of this daughter because the focus of our text is not on the problem, but on the problem solver. And what we get to read about is the faith of this mother that is met by the plan of the master as he develops her faith through his conversation with her. And so she cries out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And she states her need, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. This morning, I'd like to remind our mothers in the room that one of the greatest gifts that a mother can give her children is the gift of prayer, but not just any kind of prayer, desperate prayer. I'd like to suggest this morning that not just for our mothers, but all of us here today, that one of the greatest hindrances to an active prayer life is failing to see our desperate need for Jesus. The reason we don't pray as often as we know we should is because we don't think we need Jesus as desperately as we do because we fail to realize that even our next breath is dependent on his mercy. And as we take a look at a text like this, we're reminded of the need to pray desperately. This morning, if I could give a few takeaways, the first would be this. In times of desperation, take time to make prayer a priority. In times of desperation, take time to make prayer a priority. When you realize just how desperate you are for Jesus as a mother or as a believer, may your desperation lead you to a greater dependence upon him. I'm sure every mother in the room can share that there have been moments, perhaps even right now, when all you can do for your children is pray. There are times when you can't call them up or intervene in a situation where your hands are completely tied, and all you can do in that moment is pray. In times of desperation, which should be all times, because we all desperately need Jesus, take time to prioritize Prayer. Secondly, in times of de desperation, take time to pray with specificity. I want to list four things for you in terms of the lives of our children um, that, that is only something we can depend on God to intervene in. There's only so much we can do. Certainly, we can instruct them as they're growing up in the Lord. We can discipline them as God calls us to. We can pray for them. But then we, after we do all that we can do, we leave it in the hands of God. Number one, Pray for the conversion of your children. This morning, as you pray for the conversion of your children, pray for their conversion desperately, recognizing your desperate need for Jesus. You can spend all day and night for 18 years pouring in the gospel to your children, but spend as much time talking to God about your children as you talk to your children about God. Whether they're in the home or out of the home, take time to desperately pray for the conversion of your children. I need to be reminded of this often. That one of my greatest prayers is that our children, 
will come to faith in Jesus as their Savior and Lord at an early age and serve him faithfully. So pray for the conversion of your children. Secondly, pray for the character of your children. As you pour into them and instruct them and discipline them while they're in the home and as they head out of the home, may you continue to rely on God desperately to continue to shape their character. Thirdly, pray for the choices of your children. In the home, out of the home, pray that God would be their guide, that God would provide them the wisdom that they need, that God would instruct them in those moments when they want to make the wrong choice. May God get a hold of their heart in that moment and shake them up. If they've got to have, you know, if they're in the wrong place at the wrong time and they're ready to step into some kind of sin, Lord, send something to really bother them. Just give them something that is going to be problematic for them that will drive you back to you. Pray for the choices of your children. Fourthly, as you pray with specificity, pray for the companions of your children. One of the most uh, helpful things as we raise our kids that we're reminded of from other families and parents as they raise their children is begin praying for the spouse of, of who you, that person's going to marry early on. <laughs> And so sometimes we're praying for our children and praying for their spouse, and it's a little odd, you know, you got a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and we're praying for who they're going to marry. God knows we need to be praying for their companions. Be praying for those who they associate with, put in their circles of influence. Pray for their witness as they are not influenced more by the world, but influence others with the word And they make an impact and a difference for the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So pray for conversion, character choices, and companions. And thirdly, in times of desperation, pray with boldness. One of the greatest gifts a mother can give to her children is the gift of prayer. Abraham Lincoln once said, No one is poor who had a godly mother. Charles Wesley said, I learned more about God from my mother than from all theologians in England. Charles Spurgeon said, I cannot tell how much I owe to the prayers of my good mother. Can I encourage our mothers in the room to pray boldly? As you pray desperately, recognizing your desperate need for Jesus. When you've exhausted all of the other options and have come to the end of yourself, Come to the feet of Jesus, recognizing that he is a God of mercy, that he is a God of power, that he has sovereign power over all things. And even when you think that it's the end of the road, God makes a way where there seems to be no way. Number one, mothers are invited to pray desperately. Secondly, mothers are invited to pray persistently. Mothers are invited to pray persistently. The the first couple of verses, we got to see the plea of the mother In the next verses to the end, verses 23 to 28, we get to see the plan of the master. Now, as this conversation unfolds, Jesus responds to her in a bit of an unexpected way. As we get to hear the story unfold, as this woman has expressed her heart, poured it out before Jesus and said, Lord, son of David, have mercy, my daughter. She is severely demon-possessed. There is nowhere else I can go but to you. And how does Jesus respond? Silence. And I suggest this morning, it's not just silence. It's deafening silence. What we get to hear about this woman is in the silence of Jesus, she continues to cry out because the disciples get a little bit irritated. And she continues to cry out, Have mercy on me, son of David. Have mercy on me. Lord, and Jesus responds in silence. This morning, when God reminds, re- responds in silence to your prayer request, when he doesn't respond as you might expect him to, there are different options that you can turn to. For some of us, we turn to frustration. We turn to disappointment. Some of us may say, forget this. I'm not going to continue on. Obviously, prayer doesn't work or or I don't know if God even cares about me. And so one of the options is to be disappointed, to be disillusioned, to say this faith thing is not for me. I want you to know as Jesus answers, or the manner in which he answers, which is in silence, the plan of God that's unfolding is actually a plan to develop her faith and in the end commend it. 
What Jesus is doing here is he's setting up a number of roadblocks and giving her an opportunity to exercise her faith to walk over them. And one by one, this mother has an opportunity to exhibit her faith as it's developed, as it perseveres, as she steps over one barrier after another until she is commended by Jesus to have a faith that is great. And so Jesus first begins, he, he responds in silence. Maybe there's some others in this room this morning who have been praying for your children, maybe the salvation of your children. Maybe they grew up in the church and now they're out in the world and they're, they've fallen away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and your heart is burdened for them. Maybe they're in a relationship. Maybe they're in a lifestyle that, that you are desperately praying for them. And when they're suffering, you share in their suffering. And you understand this, mother. You see her face and you see the pain on her face. You see the tears that are flowing because you understand this, mother. In Psalm 13, 1 through 6, David cried, it out, this, cried out this way. How long, O Lord? Anybody been there? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Then verse 5, you know, David, he, he, he turns it around. He says, but I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You have an option in times when God seems silent. You can either become disillusioned. You may leave him. But, but what this woman does is she leans into him. As God continues to develop her faith. And she steps one, uh, over one barrier after another. But not only does she have to persevere through the silence of Jesus. She has to persevere through the conversation of the disciples <laughs> take a look at these disciples you know she's desperate she's crying out to the lord you talk about being discouraged the disciples say jesus she's irritating us she's following us like you're just ignoring her and she just keeps following after us we are sick and tired of it and the disciples of course it, it says it says in verse 23, but he answered not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. Now, the disciples could be saying one of two things. Number one, they could be saying, Jesus, we're sick and tired of her. She's starting to annoy us. She's starting to irritate us. Uh, just, just send her away. Just tell her no more. Or they might be saying, Jesus, we're completely irritated. Just heal her daughter. Answer her request and then send her away. It's probably the latter because look how Jesus answers. He says, but he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus denies the request. He says, I'm not going to intervene. I'm not going to heal. Why? He says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Who is Jesus? Jesus is a Jew. Jesus was sent to be the king of the Jews. Now, his kingdom, it extends to the Jew and the Gentile alike. But the primary ministry of Jesus while on the earth is to the lost of the house of Israel. Who are lost in Israel? All of them. In Isaiah 53, all like sheep have gone astray. Jesus' primary ministry is focused on the nation of Israel. Now, his disciples are given the great commission to go beyond Israel to the ends of the earth. But the priority lies with the Jewish people. And what we see elsewhere in Matthew 21, 43, it says, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you, speaking to the Jews, and given to the nation, bearing the fruits of it. And so the nation of Israel is the priority. They've been given the word of God. They've been given the promises of God. And they are also given the opportunity to respond to the gospel in faith. But when they reject it, it goes out to the Gentiles. You know, Paul in Romans 1.16 said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Paul, whenever he went about his ministry, he always went first to the synagogue. 
Or he went to the people who were praying, the Jewish people, if there was no synagogue. He goes to the Jew first, and when the Jews reject the gospel, it is extended to the Gentile. Jesus is not being cruel here. He's simply stating a fact. This is the primary focus of his ministry. But can you imagine how her faith might be shaken in this moment? As Jesus sets up one barrier after another and gives her an opportunity to step over, at first he seems to ignore her, maybe not even care about her in her eyes. Secondly, he pretty much dismisses her request, but things continue on, and instead of leaving Jesus, she leans into Jesus and take a look at how she responds. It says in in, uh, verse 25, then she came... And worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Jesus doesn't leave him. She leans into him. She leans into him, and then it tells us she worships him. This is a woman who has a faith to believe that Jesus is merciful. Even though he's ignored her, even though he seemed to have dismissed her request, she still believes that he is merciful. She still believes that he is able. She still believes that he is willing to intervene. So she leans into him. She worships him. He is the Lord. He is the son of David. He's worthy of worship and worthy of praise. And then she cries out, help me. Don't go any further because if you're identifying with the woman... Certainly, this is the moment Jesus will respond and grant her request. I mean, think about it. I I see her on her hands and her knees worshiping the Lord Jesus and begging him, help me. What's the compassionate thing to do? You help her. Someone walks in and... Let me tell you. Someone walks walks into the church and I'm standing, you know, in in the front lobby... You know, and somebody walks in, if, if I'm not compassionate and people are watching, you know, this, this is a bad time for people to be taking pictures and videos. And I say, nope. <laughs> and look how he responds. Not only did he ignore her and dismiss her, now he seems to offend her. Notice what he says here. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. I don't know about you, but this is the moment where I'm thinking to myself, I have more self-respect than this. To sit here or to stand here and to cry out to this Jesus who I thought was the Lord, who I thought was the Jewish Messiah, who I thought was merciful and compassionate, but I'm not going to stand here and allow him to call me a dog. What is Jesus saying here? Well, Jesus is using a metaphor here. Now, as we said earlier, the Jews and the Gentiles, they have a unique cultural relationship. And we're told here, it says, it is not good to take children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. The children here refer to the Jewish people. The dogs here refer to the Gentile people. And Jesus refers to her, and it's still derogatory. He refers to her as a dog. Now, the term that he uses here is not those mangy dogs who are roaming the streets and carry all kind of disease and sickness, but he refers to the Gentiles with her in mind too as a household pet. And what he's saying here is that if the Jews are represented as children and the Gentiles are represented as dogs, the bread referred to the blessings of the kingdom given to the nation of Israel. And so what Jesus is saying is, if you've got a pet dog, the priority is the children and not the dog. Do you feed the dog before you feed the children? You have to understand the priority of Jesus' ministry is to the people of Israel. And this woman could have come entitled. She could have come and said, how dare you speak to me this way or even begin to ignore me, dismiss me, and then call me a dog. But listen to what she, how she responds She says, yes, Lord. You know what the woman said there? I agree, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. This woman says, I've exhausted all my other options, Jesus. Where do I have to go? You have the words of truth. 
My daughter is suffering severely. She is severely demon-possessed. I've exhausted all of my options. I've come to your feet. I can't go anywhere else. If you'll give me crumbs, I'll take them. Listen, the, the, the Christian faith is really about one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is, and it's found in the bread of Life. What this woman is saying is even the crumbs are enough to satisfy the deepest longing of my soul and meet the deepest needs that I have. This woman is not entitled. She is humble. And in a moment, we're going to see she is full of faith. Jesus has set up one barrier after another and each time it has developed her faith and, and has exposed it as genuine and authentic and she serves as a great example of what a devoted disciple, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ looks like. Stepping over one barrier after another, believing that Jesus is merciful, believing that Jesus is Lord, believing that Jesus has sovereign power over all things and has the ability to meet the need of her daughter and to meet her need as well. Listen, Jesus doesn't just have the power to heal sickness and to heal this young girl. She, he has the power to heal and meet our greatest need for salvation. And what we're invited to see in our text is to place our faith in him to meet our every need. Jesus responds this way, and he says in verse 28, O woman, you can almost see Jesus' face light up. O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Did you know? All throughout the Gospels, when you read about those who are described as having great faith, they're, they're described as Gentiles, not Jews. You would think if, if, if Jesus came to his own, but his own didn't receive him, those would be the ones who have great faith. But the ones who are described as those who have great faith are of the Gentiles. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, Jesus is speaking to a centurion whose servant is not well. And he asked Jesus to, to heal him and, and uh uh, he basically tells Jesus, listen, I'm not worthy for you to be under the same roof as me. And Jesus says this, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who follow, surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. This morning, I'd like to remind our mothers that one of the greatest gifts a mother can give to their children is the gift of prayer. Not just desperate prayer, but persistent you know, elsewhere in Scripture, in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 10, we see that persistent prayer is found favorable in the eyes of God. Verse 5, it says, And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are, are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Any young families in the room? Somebody come up to you and knock on your door. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. They're like, hey, we've got some guests over, and we want to be a bit hospitable. Hey, do you mind giving us some food, some bread for our neighbors? You'd be like, get out. I just put my children to sleep. I mean, they've been crying for, now they're sleeping. Verse eight, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. If you keep knocking, he'll just give you the bread, go away. Verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be open. We get to see the plan of God unfold through this conversation as Jesus sets up one barrier after another. And the purpose of the plan of God is to develop her faith and then to commend it as great. Can I ask you this morning, maybe you are in a season of life where God seems silent or may not be answering your prayers as you may expect him to. Perhaps God is developing your faith, stretching your faith, and growing your faith 
as you continue to trust in him and not trust in your circumstances. How easy is it when circumstances are not going like they should to trust our circumstances more than to trust God? God, you don't care about me. Because if you did, you wouldn't allow this to happen to me. The reality is we don't put our faith in how we feel. We put our faith in the truth of the word of God. And that's what perseveres us through. And no matter how bad things look around us, we know the one who lives in us and he is the one who will see us through to the end. God commends, Jesus commends her persistence in her faith. And so if I could encourage us with just a couple takeaways there. The first one is, is continue to persistently pray by means of being focused on his plans. When Jesus, and when God responds unexpectedly, allow how, you've, how you're experiencing, experiencing things and your desperation to lead you to a greater dependence. And secondly, pray persistently, remaining focused on his word. This morning, I, I, I found a number of scriptures in regards to how to respond to various things that go on in a mother's life. The first one is this. When you are concerned about your family's future, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare, peace, and not for evil to give you future and a hope. When you need wisdom, James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. When you are worried, Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, do not be anxious for anything but in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your requests uh, to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus when you need assurance John 5 24 says truly truly I say to you if whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me as eternal life he does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life when you can't make ends meet Philippians 4 19 says and my God will supply all your needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus, when you've had a rough day, fear not, Isaiah 41.10, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous, righteous, righteous right hand. When you face difficult problems, I can keep going. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of God that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4.16. You know, there's a scripture for all of these, right? Uh, when you want your husband to follow the Lord, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. When there are family tensions, Colossians 3, 12, put on then a compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love with binds everything together in perfect harmony. When God doesn't seem real to you, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. When you wonder if God loves you, Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in this. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you need forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When no one seems to understand you, Psalm 139, 1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. And when you feel like giving up, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Can I encourage the mothers in the room to persist in your faith by means of being informed by the will of God in light of the word of God? May the word of God be your sustenance. May it be the very means by which you persevere in the midst of hardship and difficulty. When your questions are left unanswered or God seems silent in the midst of them, lean into the Lord in those hard times. So mothers are invited to pray desperately, persistently. And this morning I'd like to finish by saying faithfully. 
To pray faithfully doesn't mean that God always answers the way that you expect or you desire. This woman had the opportunity to see her daughter healed. But when we entrust our cares to the Lord, we trust that he knows what he's doing. And we know, as Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for good to those who love God who've been called according to his purposes. As I close this morning, I'd like to just encourage the mothers in the room to continue to pray. Pray desperately, pray persistently, pray faithfully. And as the rest of us, may we take time to thank God for praying mothers. R.C. Ryle said this, hopeless and desperate as her case appeared. This is speaking of the, the daughter. He says this, she had a praying mother. And when, where there is a praying mother, there is always hope. And then secondly, I'd like to encourage us to take time to tell God thank you for your mothers. Let me close with this from Ruth Bell Graham. She says this, listen, Lord, a mother's praying low and quiet. Listen, please. Listen what her tears are saying. See her heart upon its knees. Lift the load from her bowed shoulders till she sees and understands you who hold the worlds together, hold her problems in your and we pray. Father, uh, we thank you that you are God. We thank you that you have provided us the gift of mothers. And whether our mother was an example to follow or an example to avoid, we thank you that she was an example nonetheless. We pray for our mothers. We thank you for our mothers, those who are mothers in the room who are represented in this place. May you bless them May you encourage them. May you challenge them. Uh, I pray, Lord, that as we consider a text like this, that you would not just challenge the faith of our mothers in regards to the prayer, their prayer lives and their dependence on you, but you would challenge each of us this morning to grow in our dependence on you and our love for you, to look past the challenges and the barriers and step over each barrier with faith, in light of who you are, in light of your word. Father, we always like to give an opportunity for anyone who has a desire to come to Jesus, who's never received forgiveness of sins and doesn't have the assurance of heaven. I, I want to pray for them. Maybe in this time, in this place, Lord, they're ready to give their life to Christ, as Hudson Taylor did at the age of 17. I pray that they can pray this in their hearts as they pray it aloud. Father, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I've missed the mark. I've fallen short. I know that the consequences of sin, my sin of missing the mark in your eyes is an eternity without God and his people forever. But today I make Jesus my savior. I make him my Lord. I receive forgiveness of sins, the one I'm going to follow all the days of my life into eternity. Father, thank you for these things. We give you honor and glory for them and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.